the next four weeks, this is a series we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at uh, the birth of Jesus Christ in each one of the Gospels. And you go, well, anyway, I thought it's only in two. Well, we'll get to that. So just hang on. Um, let, let me try to give a little bit of preference to what we're, so you understand a little bit about the Bible and the background and particularly the Gospels. Um, if you were to ask somebody uh, to describe me, it would depend on who you were talking to. If you were talking to Don Ryerson, Don Ryerson would spend a lot of time talking to you about um, uh, theater productions that we had been in and acting kind of things and characterization and things like that because Don was my speech teacher in college and we were in a lot of performances together and I did a lot of things on the stage for him. If you were to talk to Tony Getch, Tony uh, was the one who taught me the first time I ever got to blow glass. She was the one who taught me uh, about glass blowing. And so Tony would talk to you about how each year she's watched me get a little bit better and, and learn different things. And so Tony would talk to you about me in the context of glass blowing. If you were to ask one of my kids, they would talk to you in context of me being dad or father or, or husband. Um, if uh, you were to talk to somebody from this church, they would talk to you about uh, my context as far as a pastor and what kind of pastor or preacher that I was. And so everybody that you would talk to would give you a little bit different view of me depending on a couple of things. It's going to depend on the relationship that I have with them. It's going to depend on the context in which we interacted together. And it's going to talk and it's going to be in the context of what we're talking about. So for instance, if we're talking to a bunch of artists and Tony's talking, she's going to talk about me as a glassblower. Uh, Don Ryerson is going to talk to me as a, as a theater student. You're going to talk about me as a pastor or a preacher. My kids, I have no idea what they would say, so we're not going to go there. But everybody, you, you get the idea, everybody is coming at it from a different perspective. When we talk about the life of Jesus, and we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the same thing is true. You have to ask yourself, what kind of relationship did they have with Jesus? Who are they talking to? And what is the focus that they want to, the emphasis that they want to put on? And every gospel has a different audience that it's speaking to, and it has a different focus on the life of Christ that they, that they want to focus or talk about. So when we get to Matthew, Matthew is a book that is written primarily to the Jewish people. That's the main audience. And in that book, they're presenting Jesus as a king. We'll talk about that in depth in a minute. When we get to Mark, Mark is talking more to the uh, Greek world, uh, or to the Roman world, and he's going to focus a lot on Jesus as a servant. Um, when we get to uh, Luke, he's talking to the Greek world, and in the Greek world... Their idea was to find the perfect man. What did the perfect man look like intellectually, um, physically, socially? What, what was a perfect man like? Um, that's where, by the way, we got our Olympics from the Greek world because they were, they were in pursuit of that perfect ideal man. So when Luke writes, he's a doctor. So Luke writes in his relationship to Jesus, he looks at Jesus as the perfect man. And then when we get to John, John's kind of a universal gospel. It's kind of written to everybody out there. And, and the idea there was that Jesus is God. And you, we've talked about that in the I Am series. I Am in reference to his connection to God. So what we're going to do in the next four weeks is we're going to take each one of the Gospels and we're going to kind of zero in 
on the birth of Christ and how that's laid out so that we better understand Jesus Christ and this whole Christmas story thing. So this morning we're in Matthew, and before we get there, um, let me give you a little bit of background about Matthew. Matthew is going to present Jesus as a king, right? So therefore, he's writing to the Jews. Since he's writing to the Jews, it's very, very important that Jesus' genealogy is traced back to the greatest king in Israel, David. So therefore, when you start to read the Gospel of Matthew, there's this whole Joseph's genealogy that goes back to David. Why? Because Matthew's saying he's king. And so the stories often that we're going to find in the Gospel of Matthew are going to be about that king thing. For instance, um, the idea of the kingdom of heaven is talked about a lot in um, uh, Matthew, 33 times in fact. Why? Because he's talking about Jesus as a king, and so the kingdom of heaven is often referred to. Uh, son of David, his re- Jesus is referred to, it's interesting, Matthew refers to Jesus as the son of David nine times. If you look at Mark, Luke, and John and add all of them up, it only refers to it six times in all of those combined. Why? Because Matthew's trying to say, look, he's, he's king. Um, because he's writing to the Jews, the Old Testament is huge. There are 130 prophecies dealt with in the book of Matthew regarding Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the ones we're going to look at this morning is, is, is in regards to his birth. Um, the genie, the, Matthew is written in a, in a unique way. Because it's written to the Jews, um, the number five is a big deal in, Jewish, in the Jewish world. Okay? Because the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, so... When, when Matthew then is writing to the Jews, he actually sets Matthew up with five discourses, five segments of the life of Jesus, because he's trying to, again, convey that to the Jews. That was a big deal. That, that clicked with them. Um, basically, what happens in the Gospel of Matthew is he goes along talking about Christ till we get to about chapter 12. And at chapter 12, um, they reject Jesus. And at that point, the ministry of Christ shifts, and it's more about his death and the disciples from that point on. Uh, Matthew presents him as king, so therefore, when we start the book out, guess what? We're going to see the Christmas story in relationship to the idea of a king. All right? So let's uh, start with it, and here's what it says. Um, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's just stop. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you don't have to go home and like blow up your manger scene, all right? But uh, we don't know how many Magi. The text doesn't see, say. We assume three. History's going to actually give them a name by the time we get to the 6th century. Um, and we assume three because they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so we think three, but the text doesn't say that. We don't know how many Magi, Okay. Uh, we just know that they were, they were pretty important people and they had a bunch of money, okay? Um, it says, um, and they came from the east to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now again, you want to know where the king is, where do you go? You go to the palace. And the palace was in Jerusalem. Just like if you wanted to go visit the president, where would you go? Florida. With a golf course. No, uh, you go to no, you go to Washington. All right, you go to Washington D.C. All right, um, it says, "Where is he? Is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him." 
Okay? So in other words, they've been following the star. Okay? And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. I don't have time to talk about King Herod. Read your history book. Okay? Uh, they, it was said of Herod, it was safer to be his pig than his relative. Okay? Because this guy was ruthless. Anybody came close to threatening his throne or that he could lose being king, uh, he, he dealt with them, and he dealt with them permanently. Okay? I mean, it was, it was a bad deal. But, so now King Herod is disturbed. Okay? When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is this Messiah to be born? He's like, okay, this person is threatening my kingdom. Where is he going to be born at? And notice what it says. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. And he quotes from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Um, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew their Bible, and they said, you know what? Here's the deal. He's going to be born in, in, in Bethlehem. That's where, you, that's where he's going to be. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Okay, he's lying. Okay? He ain't going to worship him. He's going to go to take him out. That's, that's, that's Herod. Um, but he tells him. All right, so notice what happens. It says that after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, a lot of Bible scholars believe this. If you remember, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were led by a pillar of, uh, a, a, a pillar of fire um, and a, and a, that led them through the wilderness. A lot of people believe, and that was the dwelling of God, the Shekinah glory, a lot of Bible scholars believe that it's very much similar to what happens here, that God literally leads them to where Jesus is. And notice what it says. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, all right? So, here, here's another thing. Again, you don't have to blow up your manger scene, all right? But at the little manger scene, you know, with all of the shepherds and everybody else, there, there's no wise men there, okay? Because okay. at this point, he's in a house, all right? So, again, you know, you don't, again, don't, don't go home and blow up your manger scene. We put our manger scene out. It has all of the people there, including the magi, even though they weren't, Okay? because uh, it just looks really cool, and that came with the set. So here's what it says. Okay? It was, and by the way, it's funny. It, this is hilarious, but this happened, again, it happened this year. Claire got out the manger scene and starts playing with it. And you know how, you know how everybody does the manger scene? You know, you, you know how a manger scene's supposed to be set up? Well, nobody's explained this to Claire. Um, because what Claire does is she puts Jesus in the middle, and then she surrounds him in a big circle with everybody. And it's like, you know what? The kids probably got it right. Because Jesus is supposed to be the focus, you know. And, and so Jesus is in the middle with the, well, and, and everybody's surrounding him. But anyway, uh, it says, when they, they were overjoyed. Coming to the house, so he, he's in a house at this point. Some people say it could have been up to, it's probably a couple of months after Jesus was born. could have been really up to two years. But um, it, probably, it says, and they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Now, this is a big deal. These are very important people. It was not uncommon when a new king was born to come and offer gifts and worship. And what you are saying is, we acknowledge your right to rule. 
we acknowledge you as the new king. We acknowledge the fact that you are in line here to be. So we want a good relationship with you. We want you to remember we were here at the beginning helping you. We were in the beginning supporting you. And notice what it goes on to say. And they opened their treasures and presented him gifts with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You did not go into the presence of a king without offering something in a deal like this. Um, and usually what you would bring was of incredibly high value. Um, it was incredibly significant. It was usually from, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, uh, you know, we have, we have friends that uh, when they go to um, uh, Georgia, they come back with peaches. You know, uh, Texas is usually grapefruit. It's, you know, it's something that the area is known for. You can't usually get that quality here. So what happens is they bring gold. Um, again, some people look at the significance of the gifts. They look at the idea of gold being Jesus Christ as king. Um, gold was something that often surrounded kings. Uh, by the way, this would have funded uh, Jesus' eventual trek to Egypt, uh, fleeing the, the wrath of Herod. Uh, gold, uh, frankincense. Uh, frankincense was often used in the temple. Um, so they look at this idea of the prophet-priest idea. Uh, myrrh, interesting. Myrrh was a, a sap that came from a tree often uh, used in the burial um, as a spice uh, in order to, to mask things. Uh, and myrrh, and then notice what it says. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, what you need to understand is that um, these magi, uh, they were, realistically, they were probably astrologers of the day, people who studied the stars, but they knew enough history to know, um, tying some of these connecting the dots, so to speak, that, that this was an important event. And so they would have left their families. They would have traveled a great distance. In the, in the amount of traveling, there would have been a caravan uh, to be able to take care of themselves. So consequently, when they walked into town, uh, people knew this was a big deal. You know, who are these, who are these dignitaries? Who are these, who are these people? And what are they doing in our town? And uh, they find out that they're looking for the new king. And so you're going to see this theme throughout the book of, of, uh, uh, of Matthew. You're going to see the idea that Matthew helps us understand that a king has incredible power. So you're going to see over and over again Jesus as, as king doing all kinds of miracles um, throughout, the, throughout the, the book of Matthew. Uh, it's interesting. Um, you're going to come in the book of Matthew. There's an interesting story at the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is put on a cross, the king puts up a sign that said, this is the king of the Jews. Remember that? And what did the Jews say? The Jews come along and go, whoa, 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 whoa. we don't want it to say that. We want you to say, he said he's king of the Jews. And you remember what the ruler says? What's written is written. It stays up there. He said he was king. This is what we do to kings. This is what Rome does to people who say they're kings. We want you to know we don't see him as a king. Um, and it's interesting, by the way. Uh, when Jesus comes back, you might know what Revelation says is written on his thigh? King of kings, Lord of lords. Uh, when he comes back, he's making a statement. He's king. So you see this idea. So the reason we have the story of the Magi 
is because the whole focus through Matthew is this idea that Jesus is king. Now, we, we lose that today. We, in our culture, we're not in a world of kings and queens and, 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 and courts and all the stuff that comes with that. But when you jump into that culture a little bit and you start to understand some things about the culture, it really opens your eyes to what this whole idea was, was about. Um, and so a couple of, couple of things that I think will help us as we, as we go through the week. Two, basically two that I want to focus on. The first one is this. Oh, I'll go back to this um, so you remember this. First thing is this. Is he your king? Is he? I mean, you know, you, you have to wrestle with that. You know, we just sang a song. We're going to see the king. You know, um, there's a day we're going to see the king face to face. And the question is, is he your king? Because you see, you have to understand, when you and I are born, there, there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. That's it. Two choices. You are automatically born into this kingdom of Satan. You, you, you are automatically selfish. You are automatically self-centered. Your whole world is about you, right? And, and you know, you are, you, if you'll think about it for a minute, we are, we are incredibly selfish people. We are born into this kingdom where it is about us, and Satan wants it to be about us. And it's, it's an easy world to get sucked into. And Satan has one goal for you. Steal, kill, destroy. He wants to rob you of stuff. He wants you to take shortcuts. Because he knows that shortcuts won't get you where you really want to go. So he offers a lot of things without showing you the whole price tag. You know, it's, it's kind of like Black Friday. You have to read the fine print. You know, um, I think one of the best deals was the 25 foot DeWalt tape measure for 99 cents. That was a $13.99 tape measure. But you got to read the fine print. One per store. So in other words, you couldn't purchase 10 of them for 99 cents. You could purchase one for 99 cents. The others were going to cost you six bucks a piece. Because you only got a rebate on one. Why? That's the fine print. That's what Satan does. He sells you a shortcut and says, this will work out okay. Why? Because that's his kingdom. That's what his kingdom is all about. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's a deceiver. That's what he does. That's the world we're all born into. We all end up doing that kind of thing. We try to clean ourselves up and be good, but God's kingdom over there, we're always going to fall short. Why? Because that's a perfect kingdom. There is no sin over there. So the question is, how do I get from here to there? Satan is my king here. God says, Jesus Christ says, I want to be your king. I want you to be part of my kingdom. Here's what I'll do. I'll take care of your sin. I'll pay for all of that. I will give you, I will take your sin. I will give you my righteousness. You can now become part of my kingdom. I will now be your king. And then I spend my life living in this kingdom. That kingdom will always pull me back. It will always try to pull me back. It will always try to get me to be selfish. It will always try to get me to focus on, on me and everything else. This kingdom, being part of this kingdom, this kingdom is about serving my king. So 
Salvation, if you will, is simply an acknowledgement that I need a Savior. And you come to a point where you say, I realize I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And then, here's the key, we say, I want you to be my Lord. That's a term we use a lot. You want to know what Lord means? King and Savior. I I, want to live for you. I want to be part of your kingdom. It's not about me anymore. It's about being part of your kingdom. This we call salvation. This is a point at which Jesus becomes my king. Jesus becomes my Lord. Jesus becomes the one that calls the shots in my life. Jesus becomes the one that I want to please. So the first question I ask is, is he your king? Or are you still part of that king? This is offered to anybody. You know, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. He forgives it all. Well, I, I can't believe it's that easy. Why would he make it hurt? You know? But he's not going to force you to do it. He's not that kind of king. He's not going to enslave you to him. You're going to have to choose him. And so that becomes a, So the first question you have to ask in the Christmas story is, the Magi come to worship his king. Is he your king? Is he? For most of you here, you would stand with me and you would say, yeah, he's my king. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Okay? So here's a question for you. How are you going to serve your king this week? How are you going to serve your king this week? You see, we don't, we don't understand this king culture. But if you dive into it a little bit and you start studying history, here's what you'll find. When people were allowed to be in service of the king. That was an incredible, incredible opportunity. It was an incredible privilege. Because to be chosen, to be able to serve the king, meant you had incredible value to the king, and the king trusted you. We have a family friend who is in the Air Force, and um, throughout his career, one of, his, uh, one of his assignments was Air Force One. And any time Air Force One was on the ground in Washington, D.C., he was responsible for the whole thing. It's an incredibly coveted position. Uh, basically, it's a golden ticket in, in the Air Force as far as that position. Uh, he had it for a number of years. And um, when he had that position, of course, he gets to know and interact a lot with the president. So before it's over, but by the time his tour ended there, I mean, he's got pictures of, I mean, the president knew his wife and his kids and everything about, you know, they, they, they would talk. And it, because it, it was one of those things where that was the one time the president knew that he was safe when he got onto that plane or when he was walking onto that, that, that base and getting into there. That was, that was a, a very, very safe situation. So therefore, he had an incredible position, and he considered it a great honor to serve the president. And uh, it was a coveted position. Here's the thing. Whatever the president asked, he would do. I mean, you know, if the president decided he wanted M&Ms, then we got him M&Ms. If the president, um, you know, wanted it set up a certain way, they set it up a certain way. Anything he could do to make the president's job easier or to serve the president, often in the, in the old cultures, here's what they would serve. Here's what they would say. I serve at the pleasure of my king. 
So when the king would come and he would ask, he would say, okay, we need to take this, this enemy I'm going to choose. I want you four people to, or you ten people, or you twenty people. I, I'm going to ask you to be on the front lines, and you guys are going to be the, the point of the battle, and you're probably going to lose your life. Their response would be, we serve at the pleasure of our king. If that's what our king asked, that's what we're willing to do. Why? Because it was a great privilege to serve a king. It was a trusted position. It was an honored position. It was something that meant that the king thought highly of you. I come back to my question. How are you going to serve your king this way? Some of you, he's asking some really hard things right now. Do you serve at the pleasure of your king? Or do you serve yourself? Some of you don't understand how valuable you are in what God's trying to do in the world that you live in. And you, you look at your life, and particularly those of you who are older, you look at it like, you know, well, I'm just not doing that much for God. I don't have that much. You have no idea the influence you have. You have no idea the impact that you can make. You have no idea how just simply that attitude of how can I serve God this week and the difference that it makes because here's the thing, he's king. As king, guess what? The king gets to do whatever the king wants to do. The king doesn't owe anyone an explanation. And, and I'm not trying to be cruel and harsh here, but I'm trying to be realistic. We really don't have a right to question a king, do we? Because he's the king and you're not. And sometimes we think that God, the king, owes us an explanation. Where do you come up with that? I mean, those of you who have kids, haven't you ever been to a point with your kids where at some point you go, look, this is what you need to do because I say you need to do it. Now, if you will say that to your children, why will you then turn around to God and say, God, this didn't work out how I went. I want to know how come you didn't do it this way. Or why isn't it working this way? The king's the king. And, and when, when Matthew presents Jesus as king to the Jews, he's presenting him as, yes, the king, the Messiah, the anointed one. But yet there's also this idea behind it that, look, if we're really going to be part of this kingdom, the king calls the shot. And by the way, what's incredible about this is the king actually knows what's best here. This king doesn't make mistakes. This king knows exactly, this king sees far into the future and knows the future, and you and I don't. This is a king that can be trusted. This is a king that can be followed blindly, if you will. Why? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. And let me tell you something. That is a powerful statement in a world in which, again, not our world, but in the world in which this was spoken, there were lots of kings, and there were lots of lords, and there were lots of gods. And when Jesus says he's king of kings and lord of lords, he's claiming top spot. The magi come and worship Jesus as king. My question to you, as we head into the Christmas season, how are you going to serve your king? How are you going to serve your king this morning? What are you going to do? What are you going to say? How are you going to act when you have opportunities to serve God? 
And it means something different for all of you. It means something different for all of us. You know, and, and again, be creative. You know, for us, you know, again, and again, I'm not trying to, for, for me, Black Friday is just one of those days. You know, my wife's like, you know, I don't know how you can be thankful in the morning and then want all the stuff in the afternoon. Well, I'm thankful that I get good deals in the afternoon. That's what I'm thankful for. You know, that the next day I can go. And, and, you know, and it's one of those things where for me. But you know what has happened in the last couple of years for us? The, the funnest part of Black Friday for me now is giving out bags of candy all day long. You know, I think we gave almost 50 bags of candy Friday to different cashiers. And, and, and Friday, I really felt sorry for cart wranglers. I don't know why. God just impressed those guys on my heart. So anytime I saw somebody pushing carts through all the slush and everything else, I said, how's your day going? And one guy, one guy, I said, how's your day going? And he goes, I wish I wasn't here. I said, I threw him bag of candy. I said, here, maybe that'll make it a little bit better. He goes, really? This is awesome. You know, that one guy, one guy, he was so shocked. He looked at me, he goes, this has made my day. You know, uh, the responses that we got, it was funny because we went through the line at, at one of the places. They didn't know that I was with my wife because I wasn't there at the time. So my wife went through the line and she handed the, the, the cashier whatever a bag of candy. And I was coming through like next person or next two people later. And, and I watched and in between this gal goes, hey, come here, you got to see this. And she shares it with one of the employees and says, this is really cool. And not knowing that I'm standing there listening to all this. You know, and it became so much fun to watch the response. It's almost like, it's almost this guilty thing of, I'm going to shock you by letting something good happen to you today. And, and it's one of those deals of, it was a little, it was just a little fun thing that we started doing. But it started making a difference. It started making a difference because they realized somebody out there actually thinks about me on a day like this. And find out whatever your thing is. Find a way to serve God in serving others. And we're going to see this next week big time. But I want to challenge you with this idea of how you're going to serve your king this week. What's God going to ask of you that might be a little tough? What's God going to ask of you that may be really, really hard? How are you going to serve him this week? When you want to do your thing, and you want to do it your way. You listen to your king. You do what your king says to do. He's king. Matthew starts out the Christmas season reminding you of that. They come and worship him as king. So I end this morning with this idea. May each of you trust Christ as your king. May each of you possess a personal relationship with Christ as your king. May you learn to trust his power and his right to rule in your life. May you serve him with humility and joy in whatever your king asks of you this week. May you love your king with all your heart until you meet him face to face in the world to come. Let's pray. Lord we are so accustomed to using that word Lord that we never think of you as our king. Lord, may each of us this week, first of all, be clear that we have a relationship with you and that we're part of your kingdom. For those of us that do, Lord, may we serve you this week. Lord, when uh, things get tough 
at work, and we want to react, and we react in the way that you want us to react. Lord, when we uh, want to get self-centered and do something for us, may we instead, Lord, do it the way you want us to do it. And Lord, as people see us, may they see us as people in service to our Lord. And may you use us this week to live in such a way that uh, the world sees you. These things we ask in your name.